Hey, normally I uh, have you guys uh, turn in your Bibles uh, to the text that I'm going to be teaching through, but I'm going to be all over the map today. And so we're going to put all the scriptures up on the screen for you. And we're going to start in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 17, which says this, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That word thankful, literally what it means is uh, to be mindful and grateful. It, it, it has this intentional focus. And what is it focused on? It's focused on God's faithfulness. Um, being mindful and grateful. Webster's Dictionary, if you look up the word mindful, here's what you'll find. It means to bear in mind. It means to be inclined to be aware. To be inclined to be aware. Because the thing is, is that we're not always aware, are we? We're not always aware. It's been said there's three kinds of people in the world. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who ask, what happened? Right? And, and sometimes we're in the third category. We say, what happened? I do this to my wife all the time. I'm like, what did I miss? She's like, pay attention. The rest of the class is on page three. Let's go. You know? And so you got to be mindful, and it requires an intentionality. And, and some synonyms, if you were to go to the dictionary looking up mindful, some synonyms to mindful are these words, cognizant, conscious, observant, watchful. The idea here is that thankfulness is not just an emotion. It, it's something that we, it, it's not just something that we experience passively, but it's something that we actually intentionally consciously focus on. This is what thankfulness is. It's a response that results from conscious, intentional focus. When we're mindful of God's goodness to us, when we are mindful that we have this great hope in Jesus Christ, this consciously focused thankfulness is what we are to have, and the benefits are manifold. There are many benefits to having this consciously focused mindfulness, hearts of thanksgiving and praise for who God is and what he's done. These benefits are, are both benefits to our body and to our souls. Paul said this to the Philippians. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, the idea is that as we commune with God, as we're mindful of his faithfulness, well then what happens is the God of peace guards our hearts and comforts our soul. And what this God of peace does is he imparts his own peace into our hearts and, and this, in turn, gives us peace. As well, the Bible teaches that practicing thankfulness has great power to break the power of the enemy and, and to bring us joy. One of the things that the enemy will try to do in your life is to derail you in this area of thankfulness. And he does that by trying to take your eyes off of that which you have to be thankful for and he puts your eyes on your circumstances and wants to then interrupt you. And this happens, you know, there, it's been said that there's this unholy trinity in the world. There's, there's the, the, the part of our own sinful nature 
that leads us away from God. There are certainly the demonic forces that lead us away from the God. And then there are the world's influence, just the influence of the world system that we live in that wants to lead you away from God. And so what we see in the attack of the enemy on Peter's life, you, you remember the occasion where he got out of the boat and started walking on the water. And Jesus, if that's you, bid that I should come to you. And Jesus is like, come on out, Pete. And so water's great. So he gets out and he's walking on the water. He's having great success as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus. But what does he do? The text says he looked at the wind and at the waves. And all of a sudden he began to get overwhelmed. And, and, and the enemy, whether it be of his flesh or the world or the, or, or the demonic forces, whatever it was, Distracted him, took his eyes off Jesus, just as the enemy gets us to be distracted by our circumstances, and we can take our eyes off Jesus. And let me just acknowledge this at the outset, that when we're talking about giving the Lord thanks and praise, when we talk about our holiday, our national holiday of thanksgiving, when we talk about going into the week, preparing our hearts and minds to be thankful, let me just acknowledge that we are not all in a place today where that comes easily. Some of you today are carrying great burdens. Some of you today are dealing with monumentous things. I know many in our congregation are dealing with some very overwhelmingly intense personal issues that, that are distractions, uh, inhibitors, uh, whatever word you want to use. They make giving thanks and praise <clears throat> a real chore because the conditions for, for many of you are not good right now, and you're overwhelmed. And the thing is, is that the God of peace will comfort our hearts, he'll comfort our soul, he will impart to us his peace. And the Bible teaching that thankfulness, it has this great power to break the power of the enemy and to bring joy despite our circumstances. You'll recall in Romans chapter one, Paul is talking there about the, the ungodly and the unrighteous. And he says this regarding them. He says, although they, the ungodly and the unrighteousness, the unrighteous, knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their heart, or in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And what I want you to see here is that there is this downward progression. Rather than glorifying God with thankful hearts, the ungodly uh, and the unrighteous they're, they're, they're not able to do that. What happened is they're in the midst of their circumstances. They're not able to trust in God regardless of their circumstances, regardless of the fact that God is in control. They're not able to get to the place to where they say, God, you're sovereign. And because you're sovereign, you will never leave me. You'll never forsake me. The Bible promises that. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, thy staff they comfort me. And, and we know when we go through these times of trial, when we go through these times of hardship, when we go through these times of difficulty, you know, sometimes God prescribes those things. And, you, and you're like, why? How could a loving God prescribe that I should go through this? Well, listen, we, fall, we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. Bad things happen in this world in which we live. But God is not out of control. He allows us to navigate through this world and in the process allowing those things to happen to us. And so for the ungodly, for the unrighteous, 
<coughs> they're not in a place of thankfulness. They're not able to trust the Lord, regardless of their circumstances, that God is in control. Instead, what happens is that the thoughts of the ungodly and the unrighteous, they become futile. And that word futile, it literally means they're pointless. They're incapable of producing any useful result. The idea here is that their thoughts lacked faith. Their thoughts lacked faith. And the logical next step, if your thoughts lack faith, is that your foolish heart will be darkened. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. There's a gal named Florence Chadwick, and uh, she's a famous swimmer. She, she grew up in La Jolla, or in, in uh, uh, La Mesa, and she was a swimmer back in the 50s. And she swam the English Channel, and she swam the, between the mainland to Catalina, 26-mile swim. Just a little jaunt, you know, 26 miles over to Catalina. Now, if you've ever gone to Catalina, you know that it's often foggy. Every time, you know, we would take our boat over there, I mean, it was, you know, and I had this little 18-footer, and we would go out all the time, and people thought we were crazy. I'm like, it's fantastic. But nine times out of ten, when you go, you can't see anything. It's foggy. In fact, it was so foggy one day when I took my boat to Catalina, I had Zach with me, and we, we couldn't even find our way out of the harbor. It was so foggy. You shouldn't be on the water, but we were going. And I finally found a break in the, the, the seawall there at San Pedro. I'm like, well, I think, I think we're in the open ocean now. I, I don't know. I'll set the compass heading, and we'll go, and if we run into some rocks, and we're still in the harbor. So we just kept going, and finally, you know, we were going kind of slow because of, of the fog. But an hour later, hour and a half, whatever it was, we, there's the island. We made it, you know. And it's like that often. So Florence, when she's swimming, she encounters fog in, in her swim. And, and she's got, you know, the chase boats with her, makes sure she doesn't become fish food, eaten by the sharks or whatever. And so she just gets to the place where she gives up. Well, come to find out, she was less than a mile from the shore. What happened was, she would say later, is that because of the fog, she lost hope. And it serves as a great metaphor for us that when, because of the fog in our life, because there are often situations where our circumstances don't go well, we lose hope, we give up. Our foolish hearts become darkened. We lack faith. Well, she endeavored, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this defeat me. I'm going to do it again. So she attempted a second time, and the conditions the second time were exactly the same. And the fatigue began to set in, and what she would say later on, she made it successfully. And she made it because she said, I just thought in my mind, I know it's there. I know the island's there. I have that beach pictured in my mind. I know that I'm close. I'm going to keep swimming. And, of course, she made it. And so this is this idea that, man, you know, the ungodly, the unrighteous, well, they, they're in the place where because they don't have these thankful hearts, because they're not trusting in the Lord by faith, they become futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts become darkened. And that's problematic because the writer of Hebrews tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. That anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him, who diligently seek him. And so this is, this is the, the attitude when by faith 
we give thanks to God. When we praise God, regardless of our circumstance, what we're doing is we're saying, God, my circumstance is bad, and there's certainly no reason to glorify, to, to glory in this bad state. But I'm not glorying in my circumstances. I'm glorying in you. I'm glorying in the one who ordains my life, who has allowed these circumstances to come to pass. See, Paul said this to the Thessalonians. He said, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, when you, when you endeavor, when you choose that I'm going to have a thankful heart and I'm going to worship the Lord, it's not about the circumstances. And, and when you do that, what you have is this acknowledgement of faith that, God, you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. You promise in Romans 8, 28 that all things work together for the good to those that love you and are called according to your purposes. It doesn't mean all things are good. Some things are bad. But you promise you're going to work in, all, in everything for my benefit. Here's what I've learned in 53 years of life. What I've learned is that the situations that I go through, and then I can't say this for every circumstance that I know the reason why, but in, but in many instances that, that I know the reason why, what God has shown me over time as I look in the rearview mirror of my life, those things that were the most difficult, those things that were the most painful, those things that caused me to doubt God. Not his existence. I grew up knowing the Lord from from childhood. I can't remember a time that that I didn't know and trust the Lord as my Savior, thanks to a godly mom and dad and and a praying mom. But we all have those times where we just doubt whether or not we can trust God. But God has shown me from the benefit of hindsight, so often those things that I'm going through, I thought they were horrible at the time, and from hindsight I can see how God was using those things to mold me, to shape me. And sometimes it's, it's not about the, the thing. It's not about, God, make this thing right. God would say to us, no, I'm making you right. God, take this thing away from me. God would say, no, 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 that's the very thing. That's, that's molding and shaping you into the image of Christ. And so I can see from the benefit of hindsight, in so many areas of my life, I'm grateful for those things that God has brought me through, for those trials and those persecutions. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that... The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold which perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James put it this way. He said that we're to consider it pure joy when we go through various trials, knowing, and I'll paraphrase, that God uses those things to perfect us. See, this is how we move into greater realms of faith for ourselves and for our city and for our nation and for our family. This is how we do it. It is by focusing, this mindful, purposeful focus on God to say, you love me, you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. Now, this mindful practicing of thankfulness is the very purpose for our modern thanksgiving. 
By the way, Thanksgiving was established 394 years ago in the year 1623. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share several quotes with you from, from different presidents who established Thanksgiving. I was talking to my wife earlier this week. She's like, you're not going to share all those quotes again this year, are you? And I'm like, yes, I am. Um, I share them every year. Every Thanksgiving, I share these quotes. If you come back next Thanksgiving, I will share these quotes. Here's why. I think that it's important for several reasons. One, we, we need to remember that the Thanksgiving holiday that we celebrate nationally was founded in faith in the Lord. It was founded by a country whose faith was in the Lord. And we've drifted as a nation. And sadly, the things that I'm going to read to you, we're not going to hear any, any modern president uh, give these exhortations. But I think it's important for us to remember that the whole notion of having thanksgiving was rooted and grounded in the worship of Almighty God and the exhortation that we should do the same thing. Now, the first Thanksgiving proclamation was issued not to the country because we didn't exist as a, as a country in 1623. It was the colonists the, at, at Plymouth, the Plymouth colony, those that came over on the Mayflower and settled here. And William Bradford was the governor of, of the Plymouth colony. And they had gone through, if you know your history, they'd gone through intense sickness and many had died and they'd come through that and, and they, they had finally get, gotten to a place where now their crops are starting to grow and so on. And here's what William Bradford did. He issued this proclamation. He said, to all ye pilgrims, you're going to hear ye a bunch in this. It's kind of, if you go over to Ireland, they still use ye. It's weird to read. Anyway, to all ye pilgrims, inasmuch as the great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest, protected us from attack, has spared us from disease, and granted us the freedom to worship God, I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims gather on Thursday, November ye 29th of the year of our Lord, 1623, the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. I love that last sentence where it says, listen to ye, pastor. Isn't that awesome? No, I love where he, I love that. No, I love where he says, give thanksgiving to almighty God for all his blessings. When was the last time really that you just sat down just to purposefully say, God, I just want to thank you for how you've blessed me, just taking inventory of all the ways that God has blessed you. Well, it was 156 years after that that the father of our country, George Washington, remembered and honored this truth. In 1779, George Washington issued the first national proclamation of thanksgiving for our nation. Here's what he said. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Therefore, both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. How far have we gone? Both houses of Congress implore the president, would you encourage the nation to set aside a day of thanksgiving and prayer? Two, he continues, be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. 
Well, that proclamation was followed in 1863 by Abraham Lincoln himself giving a proclamation. This is my favorite. If you're a student of history, you know what was happening in our nation in 1863. We were right in the middle of a civil war. And it was tearing our nation apart. There were ultimately over a million or almost a million people that were killed during the Civil War. And at this time, they're midway through it. So hundreds of thousands of people have died. Our nation divided like it, well, like it is now, really. I mean, I don't think our nation has been as divided uh, until this. This was much more divisive, but I think kind of we're there now. Listen to Abraham Lincoln's proclamation. He says, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to avow their dependence upon God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope, knowing that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the supreme truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power, as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens." 153 years have passed since Abraham Lincoln spoke these words. That thanksgiving is exclusively about being mindful and grateful of God's faithfulness. 237 years have passed since George Washington proclaimed a day of thanksgiving that we should be mindful and grateful of God's good and generous acts. And it's been 393 years since William Bradford exhorted the settlers at Plymouth to celebrate thanksgiving, to be mindful, to be grateful of God's faithfulness. And it's been almost 2,000 years since the Lord God spoke through the Apostle Paul to the Colossians in Colossians 3 that we're to be thankful, that we're to be mindful, grateful for God's faithfulness. And so I want us to remember that. I want us to commit it to memory. I want us to remember that thankfulness is not an emotion, it's a choice. And it's something that we have to exercise and we have to settle it and sear it upon our minds. Now, if you're a student, you know how do you memorize things? How do you commit things to memory? You see it, you say it, you hear it, you write it, and you do it, right? These are the exercises. These are the things that you do to commit things to memory. And so when we gather together as a church body to worship the Lord, 
what we do to help us to be mindful of God's goodness and faithfulness, to, to bear in mind, to be inclined to be aware, to be cognizant, conscious, observant, watchful. What do we do? Well, we say it. How do we say it? We say it in songs of worship and in praise, right? It's been said that worship is prayer set to music. So when we sing, we are saying this thing. Now, let me just go off on a tangent just very quickly and say this. When we gather together on every Sunday, and I'm I'm talking to you, Reliance Church, okay? When we gather together on Sunday, it is not to listen to a band sing. It is to join our voices together in worship of our King. And I know sometimes I like you. I, I might get to the place where, you know, someone is singing up here, there's some harmony going on, or the musicians are doing whatever they're doing, and sometimes I can get to the place where I stop singing. Mm-mm. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to add our voices. We are supposed to sing as one body because we are not listening to a band. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to just kind of, you know, think about these songs. We are here to give our praise and our our glory and our honor to God. And so we do it corporately. We do it by singing and adding our voices to that. And so this is the exhortation that, hey, when we do that, we're saying it. We're saying the things, that the thanks and praise, and that helps us to remember this. We also see and hear it. We see the lyrics up on the, the screen as we worship, and so we're seeing it. We're seeing the Bible verses up on the screen, and so again, we're seeing that. And today, what we thought it would be good to do is to emphasize the writing it and doing it part. And so, you know, yes, we've been doing, you know, seeing it, hearing it, saying it. But what we want to do is we want to exercise the writing and doing part. So all of you guys got a sticker that was given to you when you came in. You should have, as well as a card. (coughs) We may have run out of the stickers, but we haven't run out of the cards. So when you go to the communion table, there's more cards that are at the communion table. I want to explain what we want you to do. The sticker, the sticker says this. It says, I'm thanking and praising God for... And so what we would have you to do is just prayerfully consider what is it that you're thanking and praising God for? For me, it was sort of a chronological thought process. And so I just, and there's not a lot of room here, granted. I mean, we could, this could turn into a very healthy filling up a notebook of practice and you should just do that as a matter of course, just all the things you have to be thankful for. But for the sticker, I just kind of went chronological. I'm, I'm thankful and praising God for, for godly parents. Godly mom and dad. I'm thankful and praising God for a praying mom. I'm thankful and praising God for my wife of 32 years. I'm thankful and praising God for my children and for my nine grandchildren. And so writing these things down, and what do we do? We stick it on our chest, and I challenge you, if you got the guts, when you leave from church today and you go out to lunch, leave that thing on, man. Let let somebody ask you, what is that? Hey, it's what I'm thanking and praising God for. And just right now, an opportunity just to live missionally, which is one of our values, by the way. Just live missionally. Let your light shine. Telling people what you're thankful and praising God for as well. Take one of these cards. This is, we've titled it Table Talk. And I just put a few questions on here just for you at your Thanksgiving table later on this week just to start the discussion and the dialogue. Here's the five questions. Number one, what are you most thankful for this year? Pretty obvious question, right? You're welcome. What are you most thankful for this year? 
What act of kindness has made the greatest difference in your life? It's another question. What challenging experience ultimately changed your life for the better? Name one thing about someone in the room that you really appreciate. Or this final question, what life lesson are you grateful that you learned? On the back, there's several scriptures, and I would encourage you, these are oriented towards thanks and praise to God, and if you're, if you're a head of household, I'd encourage you, share these scriptures on Thanksgiving. Look for an opportunity, a way that you can instruct your children, your loved ones, in the things of the Lord. Why do we do all this? We do this so that we might be those that are thanking and praising God strategically, willfully, by our volitional choice, so that we sear these things into our memory.